This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit KFUO.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 20th, we're studying Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. Jesus shows himself risen from the dead to his disciples, and he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. He prepares them for their task after his ascension. They will proclaim repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. Pastor Denzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and Chaplain at the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Denzer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be back. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Denzer, we have the privilege of studying the last text in the gospel according to St. Luke. What context should we know as we prepare to read these verses today? Mm, this is great. And, and it's great as a, I mean... The first word's important. The last word's important. So, so this one's definitely key. But it's it's building on everything that's come before it, right? So, we're talking Easter Day. We're talking Easter evening. Uh, think of all the things that have happened, the way the apostles have behaved over the last three days, if we can put it that way. Um, uh, you know, the the happening things that they were talking about all through Emmaus uh, on the way back. Uh, uh, and now these disciples, you know, with with absolutely no breath left in their lungs, panting, uh, come back. There's been a lot of running on Easter, if you look at all four Gospels. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and here they, you know, burst into the upper room. A lot happens there. Uh, it's going to happen again here. And, 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 and I love this, this one for kind of connecting John, which is so important. And we hear a lot of that, especially this coming Sunday. Uh, but, um, but also connecting it with what, uh, you talked about in the last time uh, with uh, Luke 24, uh, uh, the, with the Emmaus disciples. Um, this appearance of Jesus to the whole crowd all together uh, and, and, and what he says to them, uh, what he does in their presence, uh, what he's showing to them, what he uh, says that everything is about for the Christian church uh, and, and then his ascension, which brings us to, I suppose, the book of Acts most immediately, also written by Luke, but also to exactly where we kind of sit here uh, in, in the middle of time or, or in the end times, uh, after Christ has uh, died for our salvation and risen for our resurrection, 
uh, and yet before he's come back uh, to raise us and to, and to bring all things to their fulfillment. You, you mentioned to me before we started our conversation this morning that this is one of, I think, your favorite texts. You love this text. Is that part of the reason why? Why is this one of the, the favorite texts for you? You know, I really like this because of a story that comes uh, from uh, Urbanus Regius. He, he met Luther on his way up north in Germany, and Luther called him the bishop or the superintendent of all of Lower Saxony. That's all of northern Germany. So Luther thought kind of highly of him. But this guy was an important priest in Augsburg. And he said this is the passage that converted him to Lutheranism uh, right at the Hmm. time of the Reformation. It was particularly uh, the message we'll get to. uh, This is really the Matthew 28 of Luke's gospel. Um, and, And I think, if you ask my opinion, I think this is almost more fruitful for us than Matthew 28 in kind of looking for a quick mission statement of the church. Matthew 28 gets overplayed maybe. Uh, so so Luke is the, is the underdog and I tend to favor them, I guess. Uh, but I think this is so... Uh, fantastic. I think I think is an excellent thing. And and like I said in the story, Regius credits this as the thing that did it for him. That repentance and the forgiveness of sin should be preached. He said, "There it is. That's law and gospel. It goes in that order. This is this is the the key to understanding what the scriptures are about. And this is what we as preachers are supposed to be about." Uh, and uh, and uh, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, well, I, I I agree with with the, what you're saying there about those verses. This is the this is the sermon outline for every sermon I think I've ever preached. <laughs> that that it's written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise, and that gets preached for repentance and forgiveness for everybody in Jesus' name. That's that's every sermon, right? I don't know if every sermon quite follows that outline, <laughs> but it is, it is the it is the goal of everything we're doing. This right. purpose, and I love how it ties the scriptures in. The scriptures have a purpose. It's this one. Um, if you want to talk about mission and outreach, this is it. It starts in Jerusalem. It goes out to the whole world, as you said. Uh, if you want to talk about the content of our message, which is not something you can just pass over lightly, it's not about just getting people or uh, you know making a name for ourselves. It's about the name of Jesus, and it's about what it does, right? That it preaches forgiveness of sins. That it's that it includes repentance. That that there's something about us that has to change. That has to be called into question. That we actually have to um, deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. <clears throat> but I also love. The ordering that's there, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. It's repentance that we preach in the Christian church is for a purpose. It's for the forgiveness of sins. That's where where it finally comes to an end, uh, hmm. and the goal. Yeah, yeah, and so an outline, maybe not in the sense that it follows that particular order or structure in every single case, but that is tantamount to Christian preaching that it is about Christ suffering, resurrection, for repentance and forgiveness. That's what we get to talk about today. So let's dive into this text. We're in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We'll pause there. That takes us through verse 49. Pastor Denzer, as, as you mentioned, this comes right on the heels of the Emmaus disciples. They are, they've run back into the room. They've told them Jesus is risen. And as they're talking, Jesus shows up and he says to them, peace to you. You talked about connecting this to John's gospel. Jesus, when he shows up after his resurrection, always seems very concerned with giving his disciples peace. Why, why is this such a big emphasis for Jesus after his resurrection? Well, as you probably talked about before, right, uh, The think of what's happened. Think of why they're hiding out in an upper room and locking the doors. Yeah, for fear of of the Jews attacking them and doing the exact same thing to them. But, I mean, the bigger fear is the fact that that just shows how cowardly they are and how unbelieving of heart they are. It's not as if Jesus has been secretive or or subtle about saying over and over again, it's necessary for me not only to die and to suffer, but also to rise again. It should not have been a surprise to them, and yet it is. And and, and they prove their cowardice. This this should call us to repentance in many ways, uh, of all the ways that we fear men so much, and, and we have hardly any fear of God. Um, earlier in Luke's gospel, we had this very thing where you see those, uh, those Jews that Jesus preached to uh, that parable of the vineyards that's just so tragic, right? And at the end of it all, uh, they say, no, this will never be. And Jesus says, nah, the, the cornerstone, right? The the one that gets rejected is the cornerstone. And their response to that is still to try and trap him. And yet they're, even at that moment, more afraid of the people, right? Uh, yeah. So so all that's in the background. These guys have all failed. Every one of them has abandoned him. Uh, you know, they failed miserably. Jesus already rebuked those two uh, kind of secondary disciples there on the road, right? And uh, and of course, we know what happened to Peter. And so so that's what you wrapped up with just before this, right? They get back with bated breath. Oh, man, you'll never guess what happened to us. And uh, and they're like, well, well, he's appeared. Jesus has risen. We've heard this from all the women. That's behind the scenes. He's appeared to Peter. That's quite a big deal, given uh, Peter's role in denying Jesus. And now it's like, I mean, how could it be any better than what you heard there and ending with the breaking of the bread? Well, here he is, right? He comes among them again and, uh, and he himself is there and he comes bringing his peace. He comes giving his word of forgiveness. He comes saying, I'm not angry for all of the things that have come in the past days. I'm not angry for your failures. I have done this for your salvation and I am still coming to bring that salvation to you. Uh, I mean, this giving of peace when Jesus shows up, this is this is something that gets communicated still in the divine service today. When Jesus shows up in his word and in his sacrament among us, I don't know, maybe you could go through it quickly, Pastor Denzer, but I mean, how many times does peace get extended one way or another in the divine service? There's several moments. Yeah, there's there's many greetings, you know, the peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, it's certainly in the benediction. Uh, there's a pax given, a peace that is in Latin, uh, spoken at the end of the sermon offering that, that God would keep you uh, in Christ Jesus, the source of our peace. Uh, 
we probably ought to just mention the Gloria Patri, which is back finally uh, after a long hiatus during Lent. Uh, and excuse me, not the Gloria Patri, the Gloria Nexcelsis, which yeah. is the Christmas song comes right out of Luke, right? That there is peace uh, on earth because of Christ. And that's proleptic. I mean, that's that's setting it out beforehand. The angels get to announce that with the birth of Jesus, you have the fountainhead, uh, the beachhead, if you will, and the beginning uh, but it, but it's not a, a uncertain battle uh, as as that great chorale uh, that Bach puts in the Saint John Passion, or excuse me, in the Christmas Oratorio says, uh, and we have it in our hymnal too. Uh, this child, though weak in infancy, our joy and confidence will be the bonds of Satan breaking, our peace with God now making. Well, when Jesus comes into the upper room, when he shows his wounds, when he is alive from the dead, uh, when the Father has uh, raised him and vindicated him and justified us with him. Uh, it, this peace is certain. So yeah, when he says peace, this is not just, hey, we're cool guys, uh, which certainly there's an awful lot of bad blood potentially that uh, that he absolves right there. But God himself is reconciled. He is at peace with us. That was announced already, uh, foretold at his birth, and uh, here it's declared publicly and and, and spoken over them. And, and now to be spoken overall. Okay, so Jesus gives his peace, but the disciples there in that room, they're not sure what to think at this moment. All they've done is seen so far, and they, they think they're looking at a spirit. So Jesus goes to pains to show them, no, he's not a spirit. What? Tell us, how does Jesus do this? What, is, what does he say? How does he do this? Sure, I think this really is very much a proof uh, that he says, look, uh, uh, you know, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. Um, I'm a corporeal person, if you like fancy words. Uh, I have a body. Uh, very important. Uh, there's that John Updike poem, and uh, maybe he wrote it when he was kind of making a short pass through the Lutheran church, believe it or not. Uh, I, I don't know if John Updike is really a great uh, uh, author for a, necessarily one of our favorites, uh, but this poem is fantastic where he talks about, you know, if Jesus rose at all, it's got to be a real resurrection. It's got to be a knitting back of the of the uh, amino acids of his cells, and it's got to be bone connecting bone. It's It's got to be the real breathing Jesus. The resurrection in our hearts, the kind of metaphorical, you know, springtime, everything's coming to life again. And in a way, Jesus did that too. It just doesn't cut it. I mean, anybody who's ever st- stood and buried their parents, their uh, husband or wife, their own child, is not satisfied unless there's some kind of hope that they'll actually see that child again, that they'll actually touch that child, that they might talk with them. That's what we have right here, right? Jesus Christ in his body, in our same flesh, is alive after his death. And from this flows all the confidence that we have for resurrection ourselves. So, so all that's there, uh, but, but maybe first and foremost, he's got to convince them, yes, that, that I'm a real body. Uh, it's the same guy. It's, it wasn't um, somebody who slipped in to do the stunt double, and now I'm just somebody else. Um, and, and it's not your eyes playing tricks on you. This is the real mm. But 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 from that then flows all of our comfort, too, uh, that, that since the same Jesus who was dead for three days is now alive, no matter how long we lie dead and decayed and rotten, he's going to raise us at the last day. Oh. I mean, this hope of the the bodily resurrection, this is what Paul proclaims in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, you know, if the only hope we have 
in Christ is for this life only. If those bodies that we lay in the grave are going to stay there forever, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's the fact Jesus is making certain here. But indeed, I mean, this is why we say that greeting that you and I shared at the beginning, right? He is risen. Yeah. Indeed, the truthfully, aletheia, right? Absolutely. Without doubt. Mm. Why does he also show the hands and the feet? It's not just these are a couple uh, examples of parts of his body. Those are the ones that have those deep, fresh, uh, I don't know how scabbed over or healed they are at this point, wounds. Uh, and, and we see this reference, by the way, in Revelation. I guess we're always going back to John there. But, uh, right, the lamb looking as if he's been slain, right? Uh, the wounds are of great value to us. If we were in John's gospel, we get to hear about Thomas also, right? Uh, there's a reason that's mentioned. It's in the apostle's memory here. Um, why the wounds? Uh, again, not a stunt double, but also because of what those wounds mean for us. Uh, so many of our hymns pick up on this, right? Uh, rich wounds yet visible here above. Uh, uh, wounds that are... Uh, we gaze on those glorious scars. Uh, and it's quite a juxtaposition, right? These are, uh, I suppose the only thing like it in our, our everyday experience is sometimes, uh, you know, guys who've been in the military uh, will, you know, get together around drinks and start showing all their wounds. Uh, those are scars of kind of what they've endured and gotten through. These are different still from that because these are wounds that he endured that, defeated him, it would seem, that, that actually were deadly blows. Uh, and yet they are now alive, right? These are death wounds in a living man. That's quite a statement. They're also uh, death wounds in a living lamb of God, uh, a sacrifice. Uh, and by his blood, right, by his stripes, we are healed, as Isaiah says. So, and, and these Go ahead. These wounds, these wounds mark him as well as, as the one who loves them and who brings the peace that he's, I mean, here's, here's proof. How do, how do you know that this guy that, I mean, you said the apostle's behavior over the last 24 hours hasn't been all that great in regards to Jesus. How do they know that he's not showing up to come and, and get some kind of vengeance on them? Well, the scars testify to that as well, that he is here as the one who was crucified for them in their stead. It's so surprised to me that people have connected that one passage in the Old Testament uh, that I have engraved you on the mm. palms of my hands uh, with this. Uh, you know, maybe it's even deeper, I suppose, in the Old Testament context, just trying to say, you know, as as the names of the tribes of Israel are engraved on the ephod that the priest brings into the high holy place. Uh, so God has them engraved in his own hands. Uh, and there, I, you know, if I had been an Israelite in the Old Testament, I might have said, I didn't know if God really had hands. That's interesting. Uh, here, though, quite different, right? Our Lord uh, is is a man. Our, our God has become incarnate in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and what did he do with that flesh? He suffered and died and bore our sins in our place. And all of that is shown. And notice the disciples, although there's still disbelief, and you almost wonder if that's kind of a I, that's incredible, right? Which literally means that's impossible to believe. Uh, and yet we use it for just the opposite, something that I'm compelled to believe and yet hardly can, right? Um, and they, But they have joy and marveling. Same thing in John, right? Uh, same thing there. Uh, when he shows the wounds, uh, now they're glad and they realize it's the Lord. There's, there's one other secret thing, and I, I alluded to it by saying, right, well, how does God have hands at all? 
Jesus kind of says this because he says, uh, see my hands and my feet and see from it that it is I myself. Or you might translate that more directly. See that I am he. Uh, here it actually does add another word to say I am myself, the very same one. Uh, but but in John's gospel, again, it's all over the place, right? Uh, know that I am, and it doesn't come off very well in English that way, but that's okay because it connects us right back to the revelation to Moses, right? Uh, what What is the name of our Lord? Uh, well, it's I am. I am who I am. And, and Jesus doesn't say that lightly. So yes, God has died and God lives, uh, and God is in the balance against your sin, and God is forgiving you. God is at peace with you. That's what that's what the flesh and blood of Jesus now risen after his crucifixion means. Mm. Okay, and so the disciples see all this, and he said they disbelieve for joy and are marveling, which is such a marvelous expression there of, of what they must have been going through. Incredible is a really good word for that. Jesus isn't done yet, though. He, he's, he asked them for something to eat, and he eats in front of them. Why is this significant? Well, I, I suppose a ghost can't do that. There's probably a lot of little cartoons <laughs> that have made, right? <laughs> or skeletons, right? Falls right out the bottom. There's no guts there. Uh, no, this is a real man. Uh, but uh, there might be more to it. I, certainly, you think about John's gospel. Again, hard not to go there. Uh, he lays out a breakfast of fish. And these men are fishermen. I've, you can't even imagine how many times they must have shared some fish meals together. They certainly shared at least one or two uh, really uh, memorable ones, the fact that he broke those loaves and fish and, and distributed it to thousands of people. Uh, but also, this is just the Lord's way that he's always gathering around food. Now, I suppose you could say he's, he's a Lutheran probably, so he just likes potlucks, maybe. <laughs> uh, it goes the other way around, I think, though. The potlucks really do grow out of the fact that Christians are always eating and drinking together. That this is the number one, I think, most used image for eternal life is to be gathered at the banquet table, to be brought into the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom. Uh, and that Jesus is all throughout the Gospel of Luke in particular, uh, he's gathering the strangers, the 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 sinners, the outcasts to his table to be uh, in communion with them. And finally, this is the character of our God, that he feeds us, that he nourishes us, that he's our creator, that he takes care of us. And, uh, and this is the source, in part at least, of the Christian symbol of the fish. Uh, you probably heard stories about drawing kind of secret codes uh, in times of persecution. That makes sense, too. Uh, there's also that kind of acronym that the Greek word for ichthus uh, can kind of spell out Jesus, uh, uh, Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. Uh, but you see how this is used in front of them, right? That, that it's it's actually fish that he eats to. Uh, both, yes, to prove it in a, in a simple, here's the proof that I'm a real corporeal guy again, uh, but also, you know, to, to, to bring to mind all of the things that they had done together where Christ was the one nourishing, feeding, and bringing peace and satisfaction and life to them. Mm. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of things going on there more than just I mean, certainly it does. It doesn't fall through him, as you say. So he is not a ghost. He actually can eat a piece of fish and it stays inside of him. But but more than that, because he's not, you know, Jesus didn't have to eat, I suppose, at this point in order to 
stay alive. He's risen from the dead and will never die again. So he doesn't have the same need to eat that you and I do. And yet he does because it does. It really connects to who he's been all along in his ministry. He's been eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's been eating with these men and now risen from the dead. He continues to to share that that fellowship with them, which is, I mean, yeah, that, that's such a big part of our life together as Christians and our life together with the Lord. I love that, Pastor. Uh, I mean, what is it that Jesus does for himself ever in the gospel? He's always doing this for our sake, right? He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't need to eat. He's walking through walls. He doesn't even need to open the door for him. Uh, he's, he's in Emmaus. He's back in Jerusalem, right? Now he is exalted. He is fully using his divine powers and attributes as a man at all times, which is fantastic news for us. Uh, Once we get to the ascension, this will be abundantly clear to us. Uh, But he's doing this for their sake. Uh, And we should say that the whole thrust of all of this is eyes being opened, right? We don't have scales falling off everybody's eyes like we did for, for Paul, but he's the untimely born one. This is when you kind of see these scales falling off their eyes, so to speak, and everything is, is understanding is coming. So yeah, there is more than meets the eye, but the Lord is disclosing it to them. Uh, and we'll see very soon, uh, I mean, the great disclosure that he makes and uh, and what its purpose is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the eyes being opened was a big part of the Emmaus text. Their eyes were, were closed, then they were open. They realized who Jesus was. The same thing is happening now for all of the apostles. So, Pastor Denzer, we got about two minutes here before the break. So, help us to get started then into this big, I mean, now Jesus is not going to open their eyes. He's actually going to start opening their minds the way Luke speaks. Help us into those first words of Jesus where he says what the law and prophets and psalms are about. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So he's hearkening back to his ministry with them for probably about three years. That the words he said are worth paying attention to. Obviously, Luke has done that just fine. He's taken all the efforts to gather up these words, to get eyewitness accounts, and to um, and to compose this gospel uh, as an inspired evangelist. So, uh, so yes, the words that Jesus spoken are words that we ought to pay attention to, and maybe you ought to say that's that is proved in a sense by his resurrection. Um, if we were to talk to a person who doesn't believe in Jesus at all, who doesn't even believe in God. I mean, I think the resurrection is is probably the strongest proof for his identity as God. Maybe a few people have been raised by the dead by somebody else, uh, by one of the prophets in the Old Testament, or Jesus raised Lazarus and a few others. Those people all died, and they didn't raise themselves from the dead. That's what's happened now, right? He and the Father with him have raised Christ from the dead. Uh, so that makes his words worth listening to at the very least. Uh, mm. And Jesus says as much here. But he's yeah. also going to equate them and connect them with the scriptures, right? Uh, let's pick up yeah. Let's pick up that half of Jesus' words on the other side of the break, Pastor Denzer, how they connect to the Old Testament scriptures. So you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke 24 with Pastor Sean Denzer. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, April 20th. We're studying Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53 with Pastor Sean Denzer. He is director of worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and chaplain at the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Denzer, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus' words to his disciples in verse 44 of our text. Jesus' words are worth paying attention to. He is the one risen from the dead. If someone rises from the dead, probably should listen to him. Now, we we left off. Jesus then connects that to what is written about him in what we would call the Old Testament. He says, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Take us into that second part of what Jesus says there. Yeah, I love this. I mean, so law and prophets is kind of a shorthand that was used for a long time by the Jewish people for the Bible, which for them was what we call the Old Testament. Uh, law, that's the first five books. It even says law of Moses to just make it very clear. Uh, and the prophets, that's Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, and then all the 12 prophets as well. And I suppose you say, well, there's a few parts missing. Sometimes they had the writings, the the, the histories, as well as uh, the poems. Here, Jesus mentions that. But it's, it's no surprise that he shorthands that also by talking about the Psalms. The Psalms are quoted the most of all the things in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. The Psalms are incredibly rich uh, with comments about Jesus. And uh, think back to last Friday, in most churches on Thursday, the night before, Psalm 22 is sung as the altar might be stripped. Uh, at the very least, uh, Psalm 22 has often been appointed for every Friday if there's a community that prays the Psalms each week. And Psalm 22 is just uncanny. I mean, it's 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 like Isaiah. When you read that for the first time, you say, he wrote this a thousand, how many thousand years before Jesus? And it talks about by his wounds we are healed. And I mean, it's Isaiah is the fifth evangelist, people call him, because mm-hmm. his account is so vivid. Uh, Psalm 22 is up there for that title as well. And so many of the other Psalms are, are clearly, David couldn't be writing this about himself. Um, yeah. So so I love that the Psalms get a special mention here. It's not like they're excluded from the law and the prophets, but Jesus is kind of cluing us in also. Uh, and notice, this is what he was talking about before, is that all of he is doing what he is doing in fulfillment of the scriptures. This now allows us, after the fact, the apostles as well as all Christians, to say the Old Testament is not worthless. It's not old in the sense that it's discarded now, that it's obsolete. It, it, it has come to its fulfillment, as Jesus said here, uh, but it's come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, which means if we would like it to be useful to us, which it is, it will be useful to us in Jesus Christ, that we will find Christ proclaimed there, that we will find uh, the law that convicts us of our sins, which Jesus has answered for here. Uh, we will find it um, uh, giving uh, pictures of what he's done beforehand. We will find Christ and, and his work explained 
thoroughly as well in the Old Testament. And so the church has never cast that away. The church has never stopped singing the Psalter in particular as the foundational uh, hymn book for all the rest of our hymns as well. So then Jesus, it says, opens their minds to understand the scriptures. What a, I mean, talk about open-mindedness in the right way. Jesus gives his disciples that. And then he, he launches into those words that we were talking about at the very beginning. One of the reasons we love this text about what is written and then the use for that. And, and as you said, the Matthew 28 of Luke's gospel, or maybe we should say Matthew 28 is the Luke 24 of Matthew. I don't know. Yeah, either way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so help us into these words as we were we've talked about them already but but again help us to see what jesus is saying here about how, the use of these scriptures that the apostles will go forth and do yeah you and i are joking about shorthanding the bible but we should just take a moment to say that is not really our goal especially as pastors uh, but really as christians we are not trying to just come up with the you know tweetable version of what the church is about we can start there that's fine but we want to dig into so much more. And, and that's what's going on here with this opening of the minds, with the uh, how Jesus is. Per- I mean, when you read these words, you almost want to immediately say, okay, before we go on, I got to read the old, I got to read the book again and see what he's talking about here, right? Uh, that's by design. Uh, I mentioned Urbanus Regius, this uh, bishop, Lutheran uh, superintendent in Northern Germany. He has this great book. In fact, it was translated into English in the 16th century. It's questionably English. Uh, but um, where it's the dialogue of everything we talked about previously in Luke 24, uh, those guys on Emmaus, and, you know, Hillary explains everything that pertained to him. And, uh, and his wife, it's a, written in the form of a dialogue with him and his wife, and she is, is depressed on Easter for some reason. And uh, she says, I don't know, if I'd been there, if I'd heard Jesus explain it, maybe I'd get it, but I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, and he says, well, we can do it. I mean, the whole point of this is that you can go back in the Bible. And then he goes on for however many pages, looking at all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and uh, just fantastic. So, so this is an invitation to us to delve into the scriptures, not panickedly, like we have to all understand this, boom, open our minds, now I got the zap. Uh, no, but that we have a whole lifetime to delve deeper into the scriptures. Uh, and so if we if we want to shorthand the mission of the church here in Luke 24, it's it's not really for that purpose. It's, it's as a starting place uh, from which we will go into the whole scriptures. Okay, so yeah, it's written, by the way. So the first thing is Jesus's mission for the church is not found by what we would like to do, but it's found by what is in the scriptures. So Jesus himself kind of says here, it's got to be a sola scriptura church that we're going to have. It's got to be built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus as the place where they're all pointing to, the cornerstone. Uh, yeah. And what is the I thing? love that, Pastor Denzer. Oh. By the way, I just, I mean, you, you sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear the objection. Well, where, where in, where do you hear Jesus talk about sola scriptura? Oh, <laughs> I love it. That's a fantastic point. Isn't Thank great? you for making that. Yeah. Well, and, and he, it gets even better because now we even know what the Bible's about. He tells us this is what's written. It's necessary that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. We've heard this before. Jesus said it at least three times in every gospel, right? This is what's going to happen, guys. And they never got it. Uh, And now he says, okay, we really have to get this down, guys. This is the whole reason I'm here. Uh, uh, Now you should understand because I'm standing at the at the end of it, I've I am risen from the dead. I I have given my life as a ransom for many, and this this had to happen. 
This is uh, biblical fulfillment. By the way, this is what we mean in the creeds when we say, uh, according to the scriptures. Every once in a while, you read that really fast and you say, on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. You know, it's like, well, if you believe the Bible, it says that. I don't believe it. No, this is not saying uh, the Bible is the only place that says this. Therefore, if the Bible, you know, it's probably all a myth. It's saying that. Jesus is fulfilling everything that is there in the Bible. He is, this was all foretold. Uh, This was all waiting and hinging and pointing to, as I mentioned, with that allusion to Ephesians, to Jesus. So, Pastor Denzer, as as Jesus continues, then that's what's written is that all this had to happen. And now he gives the purpose, repentance and forgiveness being proclaimed to all nations, but it starts here in Jerusalem. Yeah, we have to we have to do this whole text like Hebrews, where we say a little bit uh, and then we go back a little bit and pick it up again. <laughs> uh, I feel like we just have to take one step forward and two steps back, oh, two steps <laughs> forward, but one step back and do it because it is all chained together. Um, which is which is why I love this chapter so much. Um, by the way, where does it say in the old Old Testament that Jesus uh, should rise on the third day? Well. <laughs> Jesus says that Jonah shows it. I think you're That's right. That's one thing. Uh, my other favorite is is from Hosea, I believe it's chapter six. And, and this, by the way, used to be the reading for Good Friday. It was the very first thing said in the divine service for Good Friday, uh, is that the pastor would just be there all of a sudden and he would start reading Hosea, uh, where it says, let us press on to know, let us press on to know the Lord. And it says, you know, he will he will tear us by the prophets. Uh, he will hew us and call us to repentance. This is where it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, not our works, in other words. Uh, but it also says in there, that, you know, um, he, on the second day, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up again, that we may be his people and live before him. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have, have pointed to that uh, in particular, that with Christ, we are now risen from the dead as well. He, he gives us life. Uh, he gives peace to those uh, frightened disciples. So, uh, anyway, moving on. Um, uh, certainly, if you want the suffering again, Isaiah would be one place you could find it. Although there's plenty of other places, the Psalms too. There's a reason Jesus died. There's a reason Jesus rose, and Jesus tells us what it is, so that this message could be proclaimed to all people. Right. So that what he's accomplished can be distributed and delivered and given to all people. Fantastic. And and what is that message? What is that thing that's been accomplished? Uh, what is it that the church should be about? What should be proclaimed in Jesus' name? What should the shorthand Jesus mean when we hear it? I think this is the passage that, that I would say, if you wanted to just pick one thing, start here. Uh, certainly don't end there, but keep going. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? That's the message. People need to repent but there's a reason and, and, and the end is the goal, right? That your sins would be forgiven, that, that peace would be spoken to everyone and that that's where, the, that's where the story would come to an end. That's where the period and the sentence goes and that we're never really satisfied till we get to that point. Um, there, there's one word in my Bible. My Bible says uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's totally fine translation. Just make sure you don't misunderstand it to be too different or optional things, right? It's not, here are two unrelated things that we have to have, uh, ham and eggs or whatever, um, uh, you know, uh, repentance into is the way it is. Ice, it's, it's, it, there's a directionality to it. 
And that means that the forgiveness of those sins is the goal. So we never go out and preach repentance bare as if that should be the end of the story. Even if we have to do something, maybe the most dramatic thing that ever happens in the, uh, in the church is an excommunication, right? To actually say, I'm handing you over to Satan um, so that uh, you'll be destroyed. So that, But it's always in hope, right? That, that they would not be forgiven as long as they do not repent. The, the goal is that they would repent so that we can go mm, into the final accent, which is the forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus' name, and it's for all nations, starting from Jerusalem. I think I think you and I, Pastor Dinser, talked about the importance of Jerusalem within Luke's gospel the last time you were with me. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Now that he's done what he's gone to do there, now it's going to start from Jerusalem and go out from there through the witness of these men. Yeah, I can't stop coming back to that cornerstone passage from, I think it was the week before uh, Palm Sunday, uh, uh, you know, at least in the three-year lectionary. And uh, how fantastic that is, right? That it all comes to a point and to a head in Jesus. But then there's this movement out again. I, I think that's what Paul's alluding to in Ephesians when he says, right, the, the prophets and the apostles are the foundation. That's the Bible. Uh, that's like if we could add on law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and by the way, all my apostles who are listening to me in Luke 24 and do what I say uh, and go out and preach and even write down uh, the apostolic word, uh, all of that comes to its point, uh, comes to its corner, and, and that is the thing that actually is mattering and setting the agenda here, which is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, and so you have the whole Old Testament. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with that understanding of the Bible, which is essential, that all of the Old Testament is going and driving towards this moment, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Uh, everybody who is saved in the Old Testament is saved on account of the promise of this coming forth. And now it is announced as what is what has been accomplished and, and is and is ours. It, it's for all people. Uh, and it goes out now. And, and it goes out, we should say, in a way that was hinted at all through the Old Testament. You can see this in Paul's argument in Galatians. But maybe the, the apostles didn't get it at first, which is, it is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's for the Gentiles also. It's for all of humanity. I mean, the, the kind of arc, you know, goes up to Christ Jesus, but then also goes out again uh, and is no longer narrowed. It's, it's to all people. It begins in Jerusalem, of course. Uh, salvation is of the Jews, it says in, in Paul's writings. Uh, it, Jesus himself is a Jewish uh, man, and that's, that's not an accident. Uh, but out of him now, it is for all people. So Jesus then tells his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. He makes them this promise. And in order to fulfill that promise, he makes another promise about the promise coming to them, but they need to stay in Jerusalem until it happens. It sounds like Jesus is saying, hang around here until Pentecost. That's exactly what he's saying. Um, and they figure that out, I think. Uh, <laughs> witnesses is probably worth our attention for just a moment. To say that this is an eyewitness word, witness has to do with seeing. It doesn't come through very well in English. Uh, so there's a way in which only the apostles and those who were at the time of Jesus deserve to have this word used of them. They're witnesses, eyewitnesses to what happened. And they're going to tell what happened because they were there. Uh, 
We sometimes use this word about ourselves, that we're bearing witness, we're testifying uh, to what has happened. We are a secondary class of witnesses because none of us have seen it with our own eyes. That's, that's what makes the appearance of Christ to Jesus, or excuse me, to St. Paul, uh, such an important event. It's untimely born, as Paul mentions, uh, but it's essential for him as an apostle. It's, it's the kind of the uh, criteria by which they're looking for somebody right at the beginning of Acts, Luke's next book, um, the witness, the, the present with him, the observing these things to be able to tell about it. But the word in Greek is martyr. It's the source of, of the what we identify those who have died in persecution for the sake of the gospel. They're witnessing even by their death. That is testifying. And here it shifts into a courtroom kind of, uh, uh, you know, are you uh, are you a Christian? Are you going to stand with Jesus? Notice the opposite of what the apostles had failed to do uh, in, in the crucifixion, right? Are you going to stand with Jesus? Are you going to testify of him? Are you going to acknowledge him before men? And then he will acknowledge you before his father in heaven. Now, there is one more thing for the apostles to witness here in the gospel according to St. Luke, and that is Jesus' ascension, which Luke records beginning now in verse 50 of this chapter. Then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's the rest of our text for today, and that's where the gospel, according to St. Luke, ends in Luke 24, verse 53. So, Pastor Denzer, this is the ascension of our Lord. It's recorded for us in a little bit more detail at the beginning of the book of Acts. There's a a bit of an overlap between the two books that St. Luke writes. I think he does that on purpose. We get to look at the account here in Luke 24. Help us to to see what's going on. Sure. Uh, We should say just with what came before about the Father, you have the whole trinity here with the Father, the power from on high, which is the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the one talking. Uh, Power from on high might be misunderstood to say the Holy Spirit is just some kind of force uh, Luke isn't the only book in the Bible, of course, and, and elsewhere we see very clearly the Holy Spirit is a person. And he is, he's teasing uh, uh, for his second volume, uh, <laughs> put it in that grass away. The Holy Spirit is, is the one, is the power from on high, in fact, that has inspired these scriptures. Uh, and he leads them out, he, he lifts his hands and he blesses them, not the first time he's done this, uh, but in this blessing he is parted from them, kind of abstract way of putting it, and carried up into heaven. He, he disappears from their sight, as, as you'll see in the book of Acts. And this is important. It, it, it doesn't mean Jesus is gone, but it does mean sight is not going to be the most important thing here and now. It, notice, we need those witnesses, those people who did see him, who were there. But now what's going to be most important is what's still present, which is his word, which is that proclamation. Uh, the ears are the most important thing in the New Testament church. We are still hearing his voice, even if he's not seen by us. It's as if, you know, somebody were standing by, well, it's as if you and me right now over the over the airwaves, over the computer, are talking to each other, and I don't see you, but I know you're there, uh, and I know what you believe. I mean, I, I know more about you in a sense than than I might if I just saw you with my eyes. How much more than with the word of God that is so powerful uh, that it, forgive sins, that it that it brings those who are crushed by the law into the peace of his uh, gospel. Hmm. 
One of the things that's always struck me about this text that, you know, the the order of this text from at first glance may seem slightly out of order. Jesus takes them out to Bethany. He blesses them. While he's blessing them, he parts for them, carried up into heaven. And then they worshiped him. They, they worshiped him after seemingly he left, but he hasn't. I think, I mean, that's always one thing that's, that's stuck out to me in this text is that the order seems off. Why do they wait to worship him after he's ascended? Well, because his presence has been transformed, not removed. That is great. I, I don't think I ever noticed that at that point uh, that you made. Um, you're right. I wouldn't have expected that either. They worship him even before they return to Jerusalem. And when they do, they're continually in the temple blessing. I think that's supposed to be a parallel with worshiping God. Mm. But this makes so much sense, right? This is the this is the audacious claim of Christians over against the Jews, which shouldn't be an over against because this is salvation is from Jerusalem first. Is that the Lord, uh, the I Am? The one uh, who is accepting our sacrifice and is pleased with us uh, on account of it, uh, because of all that stuff going on in the temple, this is Jesus, right? He is the true temple, as he's taught so much uh, throughout the Gospels. Um, uh, So I think that's at work here, right? Uh, To worship him and to be in the temple blessing the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the same thing. That's what they're going to get in trouble for, by the way, right away in Acts, is that they they refuse to stop talking about Jesus. That's also what the Christians are known for in the early church, right? They get together every first day of the week, Sunday, this resurrection day, and they sing hymns of praise to Jesus as if to God. That's exactly our claim. This man, Jesus Christ, who died and who rose from the dead, as he proved, he is the Lord. Pastor Denzer, this is the end of the gospel according to St. Luke. As we've said already, Luke writes Acts as well, the second part of the story, if you want to think about it like that. And there is a bit of overlap. We're going to be going into the book of Acts here on Sharper Iron after this series is done. There's Sherathon finishes this week, but then this coming Monday, we're going to start the book of Acts. And so I don't mean to steal too much thunder, but how does how does this conclusion to the gospel pave the way for what's going to happen in the book of Acts. I think that's great. I mean, we saw today how it's so hard to break this up into sections. So I suppose if I were Luke, which I'm not, uh, how would I have chosen where to divide uh, my stories, Uh, especially if I knew I was going to write the second volume too? Uh, I think it was more than just he ran out of paper or funding for this. Uh, It's (laughs) the fact that there is a very important thing when the bodily presence of Christ, uh, I should say the local uh, walking around, talking presence uh, is is taken up from us. We do, again, see this in John's gospel. Do not touch me now, Mary Magdalene. I have not ascended yet to my father and to your father. I think we see there that the implication that touch and that, that Christ's presence is by no means gone in the ascension or is in fact magnified in the ascension. Um, so, so this is a logical place. When I grew up as a as a kid, the choir always had their concert uh, in and around Ascension, and they kind of treated that as a retrospective on the whole life of Jesus. Go through the whole church year, go through songs about his whole life, and and I think that's quite uh, good and probably exactly what was mulling over in the disciples' head 
you know, for the nine days or whatever in between Ascension and Pentecost. What what, what had just happened? Uh, they're praising him, obviously. They're probably running back through the Psalms and the prophets and the law of Moses to figure out everything that Jesus was opening to their uh, eyes and their minds at that moment. Uh, but But it's very important to see then that Jesus is not absent or missing from the book of Acts. If, if we were to give the quick summary of what Acts is, right? It's the story, it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of the early church. It's uh, it's uh, what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. That's why we start with that. Uh, but, but it would be a big mistake to take that as what happens after Jesus is gone and it's up to us now. <laughs> um, Jesus is not gone. In fact, Acts should be the story of Jesus still, but the story of Jesus at work in his church, the story of Jesus at work in the preaching of his gospel, the story of the Holy Spirit um, uh, proclaiming Jesus to everyone and and at work powerfully to testify to Jesus Christ. Uh, So it really is a continuation directly of the story. Uh, It's a story of when Jesus is heard far more than he's seen. Mm-hmm. Pastor Ginger, we have about two minutes left on the morning, and I, I, I know that that the ascension of our Lord just forms a couple verses here, and we will get to talk about it again when our series starts in the book of Acts on Monday. But with those last two minutes, just give us, in brief, the importance of Jesus' ascension. Why is this such an important part of, of who he is and what he's done for us as Christians as we close today? Everyone should be sure to read the uh, Lutheran Witness. I believe it's for this month that's coming out because it's going to be all about the ascension and we'll answer this question far better and more detailed than I can. But we'll tease it. Uh, uh, the That our Lord Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, uh, as it says, I believe in Ephesians, right, is so that he may fill all things. It's not so that he can be more absent from us uh, or that he doesn't have to put up with our our smell as mortals or whatever. Uh, He created us. He loves us. We know that. He's given his son to die for us. But but the Lord doesn't return to uh, uh, abandon his human nature or to abandon us. It's far... uh, it's quite the opposite. He, he, his humanity is now seated at the right hand of God. He is present with his church uh, majestically. Um, he is filling all things. He is able to be present with us even closer, in fact, than if uh, we were to reach out and grab him and hug him like Mary Magdalene wanted to do in the garden. And that's of such great importance to us uh, in the Lord's Supper, the fact that how in the world could this bread be his body as he said it was? How can Jesus not be a liar? Well, because his human nature is raised on high. It is the, the, the divine nature is active. He's using his divine powers and attributes as a man. And, and this is how he's able to be present with us according to his promise. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod and Chaplain at the International Center in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today with Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. Pastor Denzer, thanks for being our guest today. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. As I mentioned earlier, a series on the book of Acts will begin this coming Monday. We will journey through the Acts of the Apostles, how the Holy Spirit works to bring the word of God into all the world. Tomorrow, 
Thursday, April 21st, and Friday, April 22nd, and Saturday, April 23rd, our share here on KFUO. That is your opportunity to partner with us in sharing the message of Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Please join us for special programming and that opportunity to support us. I look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Mm-hmm.